going to read from Colossians 3, 12 through 17, the English Standard Version. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So grateful to have Don reading the scriptures this morning. We found out this morning that we have a long-term connection. His brother, Bill, and his wife, Linda, have been friends of ours in Raleigh for well over 30 years. So it's a joy to be able to have that reconnection there. Thank you so much for that. Uh, now, here's, here's the deal. Uh, you guys have been very gracious to me. You've been working through the reading of the scriptures consistently all year. And from what I understand, this is the first Sunday the pastor has not followed the plan. So I'm the, I'm the rule breaker this morning, but I hope you'll understand. We're going to be looking at the passage that Don just read us in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, Acts 15 would have been a great one to talk about, you know, the doctrines conflicting and all that kind of thing. And there's some other passages in there that you've been reading this week would have been great. But the Lord has been dealing with me in this particular area for several months now. And I, I believe what God is doing in our nation right now, there needs to be this message repeated as often as we have opportunity to do so. The focus in our lives over the past several months has not been on the peace of Christ. Would you say that's fair as a nation? Peace of Christ is not on the front pages. As a matter of fact, what's on the front pages, what's on the news outlets, what's in conversations around the water cooler, what's on Facebook, what shows up everywhere else is that which divides and that which is destroying peace, not bringing peace. And so we see that there's an absence of peace. As a matter of fact, anything uh, better to describe it would be conflict, uh, animosity. And we're, we're seeing it. And, and if you're watching news, you're seeing this just broadcast for us. But we in the body of Christ have a unique position in this world to be salt and light to our culture. If we're not careful, we will mimic them rather than inviting them to be imitators of Christ. We will be as cynical, as skeptical, as lacking in peace as the world around us if our eyes are not on the right place. And so what I want us to think about it as we're looking to this text this morning is just verse 15 of chapter 3. Now there's a whole other sermon in verse 16. Be of good cheer and be at peace. I'm not going to try to do both of them this morning. Okay, so relax a little bit. We'll be at her before, as I said last time. And so what we'll do is, is look at this passage and think through what happens when that peace is not present in our family? And what happens when that peace is not present in our politics? I know that's a, a stretch because I know you think we're at peace in our politics, but we're, we're not as a nation. It's not peaceful in how we deal with things in church around the country. A lot of things happening in churches that don't demonstrate the peace of Christ. 
And on it goes. And you can see in your own soul sometimes where you just feel, man, you just wake up in the morning, you got a knot in your stomach and the hair on the back of your head is standing up and you're just thinking, oh, man, I don't know what to do with this. I just, you know, you're not there. There's no peace. Jeremiah chapter 6 says that, that the leaders, the, the prophets and the peace, sometimes are standing up before the people and saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. And God affirms that that peace is not there. He says, they're trying to, to heal the wounds of my people superficially. Just saying words of peace. Well, if you would just agree with my perspective, if you would just follow my line, if you would just do what I ask you to do, there'd be peace. No, there would not be peace unless Christ, the Prince of Peace, is seated at the conference table and is declaring the terms of peace. Right? Yes. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so as we look at this passage today, we want to understand what is Christ calling us to? Why is Paul focusing on this subject? And he doesn't just do it here in Colossians 3. He does it many different places. And what we want to do is focus here and then use that as a springboard to some other places to be able to understand what the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts really is supposed to look like from God's perspective. So let's pray together. And I ask as you pray, for something that's kind of presumptuous on the part of a visitor here. But I'm going to ask you, if you would ask while I'm praying, would you ask the Father yourself, Lord, do, do I need to hear this? Because it's very easy to just kind of tick it off and, you know, it's another sermon and this is the time to put my grocery list together this week and there's a few minutes here and I can kind of put together my to-do list for what... No. God, do you want me to hear this? And if so, what area in my life is lacking peace that you want to put your finger on this morning? And the reason I'm, I'm telling you this now is at the end of the service, I want to ask you to be ready to respond. And I'm not talking about big altar call or anything unless that's what you feel the need to do. But I want you to be ready to respond to what Christ has put his finger on in your life. Lord, this is taking my peace. This is a thief robbing me of the peace that you have for me. And so as I pray, you pray, and then we'll look at this together, and then you and the Spirit decide whether this is something that Horner just got off track of the regular reading program and it didn't have any relevance. I don't think so. I believe this is where we really want to hang out this morning. And so let's pray. Father, in the name of the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus himself, we pray that you would bring peace. Lord, even the word peace speaks to a, a level in our hearts. And, Lord, it makes us want to just whew, exhale and just take a moment of rest in your presence and be at peace with you so that we might have the peace of your hand and heart in us. Lord, speak to each person about the area of conflict, the area of dis with their own hearts, the area of disapproval of, of what they know to be a course of action that's taking them away from you. Father, may we just come this morning with a confidence that you want to restore peace in our hearts in a way that only Jesus can. So Lord, speak to our hearts in a nation that needs it, in 
families that need it and churches that need it. Lord, we are here to hear your message and respond to it by the grace of Jesus because you mercifully reach to us, not to browbeat us, not to beat us over the head with, with the, uh, the law of what has to be, but, Lord, the invitation to come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will indeed give us rest, and in that rest we will find your peace. So, Lord, speak to us now for Christ's sake. Amen. In this passage, Paul tells us, beginning in the first part of chapter 3, that there is something that's going to have to happen in our lives. We're going to have to put off some things, and we're going to have to put on some things. We're going to have to put off the stuff that is destroying our testimony that we belong to Christ and all is well with our souls. We've got to be ready to hear him say, now put off this and put on this. Because if you don't put off the way you used to be before you met Christ, you're never going to be able to put on Christ in all of his fullness and experience all that he has for you. And so Paul says there are three different results that come with this heaven-born attire of putting on Christ. One is what we're going to talk about today, the peace of Christ. That, that's what we put on. And he says that's possible. When you let the peace of Christ rule, the word of Christ will dwell richly in you in order to, to backfill and support that happening. And when that takes place, what Kevin read earlier in verse 17 and following is that the, that wonderful joy is that whatever we do in word or deed, we'll do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, and there will be a sweet peace about it. And we'll be able to just enjoy the sweetness of the favor of God. And so in this passage, he tells us, Verse 15, focusing in right here, let the peace of Christ rule. Rule. What, what is that? What does it mean to have his peace rule? Well, that means that something is going to be calling the shots. Something is going to be determining what happens on the field of play in our lives. His position is that the one who rules ought to be the peace of Christ. Our problem is, is that we have all these other competing authorities in our lives that are trying to gain control. And so to just get a background, understanding the word rule here, let the peace of Christ rule, is actually better translated as let the peace of Christ act as umpire in your life. I didn't know they had baseball in New Testament times. Well, they didn't, but they had umpires of the contests that were going on. So he says, whoever's calling the shots on the field has control. Now, when our kids were growing up, they played a lot of baseball. We spent thousands, literally thousands of hours watching baseball. We became very familiar with umpires. When our kids were at bat, the calls were always wrong. And when our son, who was the pitcher, pitched, the umpire seldom ever got it right. Yeah. And so it's just like, you know, we didn't call him ump. We called him blue. Come on, blue, make the call right. You're, you're ruining the game. Last night, watched a little bit of the Red Sox and Yankees, and the ump behind the plate was calling a strike zone that had the strikes down around mid-shit. And I'm thinking, how in the world is a batter supposed to do anything with that? Well, evidently the Yankees figured it out. But anyway... <laughs> The, the ump was controlling the game by where he put the strikes on. The, the umping is the ruling on the field. And so when God says to us through Paul here, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your life, that's what calls the shots on whether or not you're going to be able to function in a biblical way in a Christ-like manner. Now, there are things that we see that power to. We get ruled by other forces in our lives, and we allow other things to get in the way of the peace of Christ ruling by allowing these other things to rule. And whenever we give that rule to someone other than the peace of Christ or something other than the peace of Christ, it's not going to go well. We're going to live 
with ulcers. We're going to live with anxiety. We're going to live without joy. We're going to live in, in a way where we just feel like we're, we're pushing a boulder up a hill every day. And so we, we yield that. We give it to someone else. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace. That sounds good. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfastly fixed on you. The Christ who wants us to fix our attention on him says, keep your eyes on me and all will be well. Now, if you move your eyes off of Christ, and I'm going to be the first to confess here, I hope we all will, that my eyes are not always fixed on Christ. Would you agree that that that's not always the case? Sometimes we look elsewhere and sometimes we cede control the rule to something else. And so sometimes we'll get in a situation where we are not ruled by the right things. The first part of this chapter, Paul begins to kind of outline some of those things. In verse 5, he says that we're ruled by sexual immorality sometimes. That's not what we're looking for. Impurity, passions rule, evil desires get in the way and rule. Greed does it. Verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying, all these kind of things will get in our way of experiencing God's peace. And so the peace of Christ is not ruling. Other things are getting in the way, and they're making our lives miserable. And so we see that that we are ruled sometimes by a fear of people. We're afraid of what others might say, and so we're we're so anxious about that. i got to just tell you, preaching at Providence, my home church, for 37 years, every Sunday when I preach there, you'd think you'd get comfortable, but every Sunday I'm thinking, "I'm, I'm responsible for presenting the Word of God to the people of God. Don't mess up. Well, you can imagine what it's like coming to a congregation that's not my own and being able to have the peace of Christ as I'm speaking to strangers. I don't know you. You don't know me. I hope you like me. You know, and so there's that fear of people. How will they respond? And sometimes that'll get in the way and it'll destroy peace. And you're wondering sometimes, what will my mother-in-law say? What, what will my dad think of this? What, what will the cool kids at school think about this? What, you know, and we start worrying about what other people are going to think. We're ruled by our emotions, not just fear of people. We let our anger get in the way. or We let our emotional response to things dictate what we do rather than the truth of God's Word. Or, or we let that emotional side of our lives dictate stuff, and it takes the rule, and our peace goes out the door when we're ruled by our emotions. Or we look at being ruled by our past. We look at things that we tried, that we thought God was calling us to do, and we failed. And then God leads us that direction again. We're going like, not on my watch. (laughs) Once burned, twice stupid. I'm not going back and do that again. There's a guy named Ralph Neighbors years ago wrote wrote a book called The Seven Last Words of the Church. We've never done it that way before. That's, that's the seven last word. And, and there's that sense in which, uh, well, we actually did try that one time before, and it didn't work, and we'll never do that again. What if God's word says it? May I repeat what I said the first time? We failed the first time. We're not going back there. We're not going to failures end up ruling rather than a past that we can leave behind and press on toward the higher calling of Christ. But not just our failures from the past. One of the bigger issues is our successes in the past, our positive experiences from the past. We want to go back and recapture them. We want to reproduce them. We want to replicate them. And and when Lamentations 3 says the mercies of God are new when? Only 20 years ago. No. The mercies of God are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so we don't want 
new mercies, we want repeat of old ones sometimes. And so our past controls us. We're not sure God can do anything different in somebody else than he did in me in the past. And so that ends up guarding and putting binders. And we can't go forward because our past is controlling the day. Unbelief gets in the way. We believe God's word if we get to pick which parts of it we believe. The parts that make promises that we're not sure are for us, we kind of edit them out or just kind of marginalize them or leave those undefined and, and therefore our unbelief actually rules rather than confidence in the Word. We could go on here and on and on and on. We know a lot of things will destroy our peace and that will rule the day adversely if we let them act as the umpire and they don't know what it really means to walk in the fullness of Christ. Anything apart from Christ, you can do nothing that's going to produce peace. That's the bottom line. So what happens when the peace of Christ actually rules? Other things, it won't lead to peace. But what happens when the peace of Christ actually is the thing that rules? Well, Paul tells us how that's supposed to work. In the first part of chapter 3, he says it this way. If then you've been raised with Christ, who's he talking to there? All of us who know Jesus, the Savior, right? So if then you have been raised with Christ, if you've been born again, like little Evie said while ago in her testimony, she was raised up to new life in Christ. She's, she's been buried with him in baptism, raised to new life to walk in the power of the resurrection. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you're a believer, here's what you're supposed to do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay, we got that. Verse 2, he says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You remember Peter walking on water? What was going on around him at the time? Storm, wind, waves, it was just crashing around. And Jesus comes walking up on the water and invites Peter to do the same. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he's got his eyes fixed on the place where Christ is. And he's walking on water. And then it occurs to him, people can't walk on water. Storms are raging around me. That's not going to keep me up. And he looks and thinks, wait a minute, gravity is supposed to be in charge here. And so he takes his eyes off of Jesus, looks at the surrounding storms, and what happens? He drops like a rock. Paul says, look, keep your eyes on Christ. The storms are not going to stop for you just because you don't like them. The storms are going to keep blowing and they're going to keep raging all around you. One of my uh, favorite authors when I was a kid was Robert Louis Stevenson, and he told the story about a ship at sea that was just in the middle of an incredibly difficult storm, and it was just beating the ship to pieces, and it was pretty much clear unless something happened, it was going down. And so they had taken all the passengers and all the crew and put them below deck, covered the hold, and then the pilot of the ship, the captain, stays on board, and he is going to be at the wheel, the helm, and he's going to try to guide them through to the storm to safer waters. And the only way he could stay in his place was if he was lashed to the wheel. So he's tied on by ropes to the wheel so he doesn't get washed overboard. That's how bad the storm was. And so he's up there trying to do his job. Everybody else is below deck. And every group like that's got one guy, you know, that one guy who can't stand to not know what's going on. So he pulls aside the covering and sticks his head out of the hole in the face, wind, snow, I mean, not snow, but storms, just banging him. If it was snow, that'd be even worse, wouldn't it? And so here he is, pounded, and he's thinking, we're going to die. 
if I get out of here, I'm going to get washed overboard. And he's going, what are we going to do? And he looks up, and there he sees the captain, the pilot, strapped to the wheel, tied on. That did nothing for his confidence. <laughs> I mean, if it's so bad that he's tied to the wheel to keep him going overboard, we're all going to die. And then something amazing happened. The captain saw him, looked over at him, and, and their eyes met. And the captain smiled at him, and then he winked at him. Can you imagine that? Sort of like, how you doing? You want to go out for coffee later? You know, I mean, what is he thinking? And he smiles at him, winks at him, and the guy's just like, hey, what's going on? And, you know, and pulls the thing over, goes back down. Everybody's going, what's happening up there? It's all fine. Everything's going to be okay. The ship's getting thrown all over the place. How can you say it's going to be okay? He says, I've seen the face of the pilot. All is well. The wink and the smile of the pilot will change everything. When we get our eyes on the place where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father, and we understand you are sovereignly in control of this planet and this universe, you can handle the thing that's disturbing my peace. If I understand that, you will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed steadfastly on him. Seek the things above where Christ is seated. And so he says that. And so what happens? We are to therefore make sure that we are doing what he's called us to do and then let the peace of Christ rule. What does that look like? What will it look like when the peace of Christ begins to rule? Well, first of all, our anxiety gets thrown off, cast away. Peter described it in chapter 5, verse 7 of his first letter by saying it this way, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You're going to throw it off. You're going to have to do what Paul said by insinuation in the first part of the passage. You're going to have to die to all that stuff that's keeping you from peace. You're going to throw it off in order to be able to put on the peace of Christ. You're going to have to throw it off. And when you're throwing it off, it's, it's, it's going to be a hard thing. It's not easy. And nobody's suggesting it's easy to throw off the weight that's going to crush you otherwise. But you're going to have to throw it off or it's going to crush you. So when I was uh, a young dad and doing what all responsible young dads do, putting the basketball goal in the backyard, right? You, you have to do it. And yet I'd been through the cul-de-sacs and around and seen all those baskets out there leaning forward. And I'm thinking, mine is not going to do that. I'm going to fix this thing so it's solid. So I went and got a 16-foot, six-by-six piece of treated lumber. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, a manly piece of wood. I mean, it was something. And so I, I'm looking at this thing, and I'm knowing this thing's going to go. It's got to be, you know, backboard's got to be, you know, at the goal at 10 feet, so I've got to have 12 feet up. and then, Okay, it's going to be four feet in the ground, and it's going to be in concrete, and it's going to be, man, it's going to be good. And so I dig the four-foot hole and then start trying to get the pole into the hole. And so it's, it's, Kathy's not dumb enough to go out there and help me. The kids are too young to help me. And here's Papa out there just doing his job, trying to get this thing, wedge it and push it, wedge it and push it, wedge it and push it. And pretty soon the thing has that final clunk. Guys, you know what I'm talking about, that satisfying clunk when it's in place. Except it wasn't so satisfying. I looked at it and it's going like, mm. After the first somebody says, well, you should have used a level. Oh, shut up. You know. <laughs> Why would you talk to me like that? That's just mean. You should have used, of course I should have used a level, but I didn't. And so no, it's not plumbing. I'm thinking all my options. Well, I can, I can wedge it. I can shim it. I can, no, this, no, I ain't got any option, but to do what? Take the stinking thing back out of the hole. So it's pull, wedge, pull, wedge, pull, wedge. Did I mention it was 16 feet tall? 
Did I mention that I'm six feet tall? That when it gets to that last pull, there's 10 feet up there and there's six feet down here. Um, it went flying up. The 10-foot side went way up. My feet followed the, the six-feet part, and I go flying up in the air, and then all, all these series of thoughts come rushing my mind. You're dumb as a post. <laughs> Just one of them, uh, except this post is winning in the smarts contest because it's beating me hard, and I'm flying up in the air. Dumb as a post. What are you doing here? Second thing is, you're going to die. This is, this is, you know, his epitaph. He couldn't beat the post, you know, and I'm done. And then I'm thinking, how do I keep this thing from crushing me? And I have only one option, and that is as I'm flying through the air and moving toward the ground and envisioning this thing just crushing me, I'm with all my strength pushing it to my right and then trying to dive to the left at the same time. Some of you are thinking, well, how did it work out? I'm here, aren't I? I'm not dead. I got scars, but I'm not dead. And sometimes when, when we're supposed to cast off all our anxieties, it's a crushing 16-foot post threatening to just pound us into the ground. And we don't have any peace. So he says, you're going to throw it off. You're going to have to cast off your anxiety because it will crush you, and you will not experience the peace of Christ if that's there. So if we cast off our anxieties, Paul comes back in in his letter to the church of Philippi, explains it this way. He says, you're, you're not to be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. It's crushing. Do not be anxious about anything, he said, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, this is Paul's way of saying what Peter said. You're going to have to, in letting your requests be made known to God, you're going to have to throw those things upon the mercy of Christ. Okay? So when we are going to have the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, one of the first things that's going to have to happen is we're going to have to pray, God, I cast all my anxiety on you. I let my requests, my worries, my anxiety be brought before you in prayer with thanksgiving, and I will give them to you, and I'm not going to worry about them anymore. And some of you are sitting there saying, unless easier said than done. Not for Christ, it's not. And that's what he calls us to, peace. And then he goes on in verse 7. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he says, here's what happens. You cast off that anxiety, and the peace of God will begin to guard your hearts and minds. So the first thing he wants us to do is cast that anxiety off of us. Throw it off in prayer. Push it away. Throw it away. Be crucified to it. Just be done with it. Lay it aside or else it will crush you. Second thing he says is that, that when you have the peace of God, it will guard your hearts and your minds. And the word guard there is, is a word that talks about setting up a garrison. It's a military concept. The Philippians understood that because they were, they were ruled over by a Roman garrison that was established there. It was an outpost to prevent, prevent people from the east coming in to Greece through Macedonian area and taking over land that way. So they had a military garrison that was there to guard the city of Philippi. And so when Paul says the peace of God will guard your hearts, he is putting up a garrison over you. And he's going to do a couple of things. He was going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why hearts and minds? Because that's where our fears become clear. That's where our peace disappears. When our hearts rule and we are 
caught up in their emotions and we, we can't get control of our emotions. We just do things out of an emotional level. He says, God is going to guard your hearts from your emotions, from that part of your heart, which is going to lead you away from the peace of God. The peace of God will actually guard your hearts. And secondly, it'll guard your mind. The second place where you begin to tell yourselves lies to accommodate whatever you're experiencing, saying that is in control, that's in charge. These people are ruling the, the show. This force is in place. These inclinations of my heart are ruling. And you're, instead of listening to God, you're telling God you don't want to listen to him because you're listening to you. Listening to your own presuppositions, your own assumptions, and not letting them be challenged by the truth of God. He said, so the peace of God will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety has to go. Peace over your heart and your mind will come into place. The other thing that happens is that our doubts will give way to the truth of God. When the peace of Christ rules, it's not going to be warring, trying to figure out if I can truly believe what God said. If I can understand what God says, the peace of God which surpasses comprehension goes beyond our rational ability to understand everything. It is God's sovereign truth spoken in God's eternal way that speaks to us about a peace which is beyond our ability to quantify in terms that we human beings can grasp. It's the sovereignty of God speaking to us and allowing us to come to the place where our doubts are overcome by the fact that the pilot is in control. He has spoken. He has smiled at us and winked with the eye of heaven and saying, it's going to be okay because I am in control. And I, as the sovereign Lord, know all things. Well, God, I want to know what you want to know. I want to understand all the things that people don't understand. I want to be able to get it all figured out. I want to walk with you only as I understand it all. He's God. You're not. Get over it. That's, that's, where, that's the message we really need to hear. One of our, one of our staff guys with our facilities and maintenance team, was going to do devotions for our staff one, one uh, Tuesday morning. And he took on the topic of the sovereignty of God. Hello. You know, I mean, theology books packed with that information. Chuck made it clear. He said, shoot, sovereignty of God just means this. God knows stuff you don't know. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking like, done. That's it. I'm writing a theology book. One sentence on one page. God knows stuff I don't know. Get over yourself. You don't have to understand it, but you do have to believe it, and your doubts can be overcome, and the peace which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and your mind when you realize God knows stuff you don't know. Live with it. Be okay with it. Let him deal with you as he must. Well, there's many things more to cover here and not many more minutes to cover them, so let's go quick. You're going to have to listen fast, okay? Next piece, bitterness has to be surrendered. You can't have peace with Christ, and you can't have the peace of Christ ruling your heart if bitterness is hanging in there. What is that bitterness? Hebrews 12 says that there's a root of bitterness that, that defiles, and it gets in the way. And we think that we're, we're justified in being able to hold a grudge or withhold forgiveness for someone. They didn't ask for it, and they don't deserve it. When has that ever been the case? We, we yield it. Say, Lord, I, I don't have a right to hold that against them. You had a right to hold my sin against me. You chose not to. You want me to imitate Christ. I've got to let go of bitterness. I can't hold on to that. I can't hold on to unforgiveness. I can't do that. 
I've got to let it go. And when the peace of Christ rules in my heart, there's no room in that rule for bitterness and unforgiveness to still be there. Can't, can't allow it to be there. Uh, fifth thing, hearts are quieted. You, you get that, that beautiful picture of Psalm 131. It says, uh, oh, God, you, you have quieted and calmed my soul. And I have come to that place where I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I can just, in God's sweet, loving arms, running to your arms, as the song said, Kevin, running to your arms, Lord. It's all right. Because my soul is quieted within me. And I can watch the news and say, Lord, I don't like it, but my, my peace is not disturbed. Lord, I can listen to the conflicts going on in the office around me, and I'm going, it's, okay. it's not what I want, Lord, but my peace is in Christ. Lord, I can see what's going on, all kinds of places of violence around the planet and the cities and everywhere else, and I don't like it, but I can say, Lord, the storms are not going to rob me of the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ is going to rule in my hearts. My soul is quieted and calm within me when Jesus is at the helm. One last picture, and that is that my joy begins to take life. I get to express my joy. In that same passage where Paul says to the Philippian church, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And that Two verses before that, in verse 4, he starts that passage, that paragraph, by saying, rejoice in the Lord, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord every time it occurs to you every tenth year. That, that's not what it says. You know that verse well enough to know. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he's, you can see him writing this stuff. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. We don't get it. Peter in chapter 1 says, you, you, although you haven't seen Christ, you believe in him. And though you don't see him now, you, you trust him. And then you have this joy inexpressible and full of glory that belongs to every child of God. That joy is to be expressed. And some people say, well, that's not, I don't exp I, this is the way I express my joy. Well, stop it. <laughs> you're, just, you're killing everybody around you. Stop being so joyful and do something different. Look up in the dictionary. That's not what it looks like. Look it up with Christ and see what joy looks like in him. And I'm not talking about giddy happiness, but this deep-seated abiding joy that comes with the love, joy, peace, patience, loving kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's where it comes with the fruit of the Spirit. That is what he gives us. And that joy finds expression when the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. Well, verse 16, how does that happen? We've got to let the Word of God dwell in us richly. Verse 17, how does that impact our ministry? We've got to do whatever we do in the name of Christ for the glory of God. That's what has to happen. But it only happens when we've let the peace of Christ rule. And Paul ends up that passage by being able to say to us, your life is not going to be this way, and you're not going to do whatever you do for the glory of God until the peace of Christ is calling the shots. That's what has to happen. And no matter what this world throws at you, the peace of Christ needs to be able to rule, and you, with your face turned toward the pilot, will see that all is well, because you've seen Jesus. Let me finish up with this quick story. Back in May, a friend of ours was playing on the PGA Tour at the Tour Championship uh, down at Players Championship in, in Florida. And as Webb Simpson, and Webb was seven strokes ahead of the field on Sunday. Un 
unprecedented. Seven strokes ahead. All the announcers could talk about all morning was, is he going to blow it? Is he going to choke? How's he going to mess things up? He had one in five years. How's he going to handle being the front runner in this whole thing? And this information was not lost on Webb. He's thinking, how am I going to do this? What is going to happen here? How am I going to have the peace of Christ? I'm a follower of Christ. I don't want to demonstrate that I've lost it and I don't have the peace of Christ in this circumstance. And so the morning of the last day of the tournament, he's, of course, the, the last group going out as the leader. And so he doesn't go out until probably 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. So all morning he can sit around and fret about it, go to church and sing hymns about it, or he can get his heart fixed on the place where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He goes to the website, the, um, the martyr site, the Voice of the Martyr site, and he starts reading the testimonies of men and women through the ages who have died for their faith and have gone to the gallows, who have gone to the stake, who have gone to the noose with peace so that the peace of Christ ruled in their hearts and they went with joy that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. And so he's reading these stories and praying, God, this is just a golf tournament. This is not giving my life for my faith. This is not something that's going to destroy me if I lose this golf tournament. I don't want to lose this golf tournament, right? But, but my peace is not going to be destroyed. And so he prayed and he sought the Lord in that whole thing. And, and that's how he faced his struggle that day. And I heard that story of, of, of Webb's and I, I thought, good gracious. You know, I get bent out of shape over little stuff. And here he is facing the possibility of being humiliated on national television, and he's going, I, I want the peace of Christ to rule in my hearts. Here's the thing. We can all have that kind of peace, whatever it is we're facing, whatever challenge is before us, by keeping our eyes on the right thing, keeping the right perspective. You don't have to necessarily read Voice of the Martyrs to get there. You can just look to the Scriptures and fix your eyes on Christ. And so that's what I'm asking you to do this morning, to take every thought captive to obedience to Christ and fix your eyes on the place where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And then let the peace of Christ rule. And you will have the sweetness of joy that cannot be contained and the kind of peace that the world around us is going to say, what is wrong with you? Don't you understand the gravity of the situation in our world? Yes. Do you not understand the regal splendor of the king of glory who was sovereignly reigning on his throne? I've got peace. I've seen the face of the pilot. All is well. Let's pray. Father, may it be well with our souls. May we be the kind of men and women and the kinds of boys and girls who in the middle of the storms keep our eyes fixed on the place where peace comes from. Lord, as we look to respond to you this morning, we come to you with open hearts and open hands and saying, Lord, we don't want to cling to anything. And whatever we have that's robbing us of our peace, Lord, we want to cast that off upon you today. And we want to be free to walk in the fullness of our Redeemer, knowing His peace, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard our hearts and minds. And so, Lord, we bow before you now and ask you to do in each of our lives what you alone can accomplish. We thank you for your commitment to us, your love for us, and the gentle way you nudge us to peace through Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.